Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. And uh, it's, it's really great for me to be here this morning and to invite us into uh, a new series. And so this morning, I want you to grab your app if you can, grab your notes, grab your Bible, whatever. We are starting off in a new series this week we're calling Mistaken Identity. Everybody say that with me, Mistaken Identity. Say it like you mean it, Mistaken Identity. Awesome, that's great. And uh, I'm excited about this series because what we're going to do is I want us to talk about who is God Really? Who is God really? And uh, I think this is a perfect uh, companion to the run-up from Easter. Uh, If you remember uh, last week, if you're here, you streamed the service, uh, we wanted to tell just a simple yet compelling, uh, you know, uh, rendition of the life of Jesus and what happened in those uh, important days, uh, you know, in terms of his uh, arrest, his betrayal, his crucifixion, and then his resurrection. And uh, we might remember historically, if you're with us last week, about how the most important week in our faith began as somewhat we might call just a simple case in mistaken identity. And it grew into something else. So, you know, that's really where the story begins. And so we wanted to tee that story up very well. And uh, what we did is we looked very closely, if you're with us, at five verses just five verses that appear in the Gospel of Matthew, his, his version of the account of the life of Jesus, five verses that don't appear anywhere else. And if you look at those five verses closely, what they set up actually really is a bit of a conspiracy of sorts in terms of the identity of who Jesus proclaimed himself to be. And so this is sort of what we wanted to look at. This is what we set up. And if you will, we set up, I think, uh, these verses set up a kind of tension that if we're honest, we could still feel that tension. I would even say to you, for many of us, for some of us in the room, the tension is still in this room. And the tension sort of looks like this. Uh, when it comes to my faith, with respect to the Christian faith, sometimes I have doubts. Anybody care to raise their hand and say, sometimes I have doubts? Okay, and so, uh, you know, uh, if you're like me, sometimes you, you might be talking to somebody who proclaims Christian faith, which is great, and they share with you a little bit about it, and it kind of goes like this. You're tracking with them what they're saying makes sense, and then they say something, and there's a bit of a block. And you're going to, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm, not sure, I'm, I'm not sure that is my understanding of the Christian faith. Maybe that's not something I've ever thought about or agree with or whatever. There's kind of an understanding. And so when it comes to, with respect to the Christian faith, sometimes we have doubt. Okay. Now, on the other side, if I were to, uh, which large segments of our population are doing right now, if I were to just sort of chunk all of that, and move over into this other space where I would just reject, you know, uh, faith altogether, reject that there's anything at the end of life, is there anything on the other side of life on earth? Uh, you know, if I were to kind of reject all that and maybe, maybe get into a space where I want to, you know, try to extract whatever meaning I can in this space out of life. If I kind of move into that space, here's the thing, when I talk to people over here, there's a bit of despair, and sometimes we go, you know, I don't, 
I don't know that I want to feel like that. I don't know that I want to embrace that there's absolutely nothing. There's, everything's random. There's no meaning to life. And yet on the other side, when it comes, over, when it comes to the Christian faith, I, I just have some doubts. And so there sets up a kind of tension. And if you looked in the life of Jesus, if you looked in the account that we looked at last week, you can see sort of that tension uh, in the moment. And we might remember that almost up to the crucifixion itself, Jesus was rightfully thought of as a king, right? He just wasn't thought of as the king that they all thought he was. So there was some misunderstanding there. There was a simple case, uh, I like to say to it this way, in mistaken identity. In fact, if you go right back to that moment, even with Jesus, what you discover is that people were either stepping into faith or stepping out of faith. And so what we see in the New Testament surrounding all this uh, wasn't just a one-time thing. As it turns out, people have been confused about God and confused about his identity. For a long time, people are stepping in, stepping out all the time. In fact, I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of a woman by the name of Karen Armstrong, and she wrote a book called The Case for God. It's pretty compelling. And listen to what she says here. I think she's right on it. She says this. So many of us, she writes, many of us have been left stranded, hear it? Stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God about the same time we were told about maybe Santa, And while our understanding of Santa Claus and that phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology about God remained somewhat infantile. And so not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, we grew a little bit. Listen, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and came to deny that that God actually existed. So there's some interesting dynamics around this. And what I want to say is this, I think if we are going to be honest, uh, and, and I were to, I want to go at this, and I want to kind of go at it in a little bit of a different trajectory than we might nor- normally go about it. And here's what I want to say right now. I want to tee up this series, and I want to lay some ground in this uh, first talk that will build a platform of where I want to go in the coming weeks, Okay. So I want to lay some ground, so I'm going to invite all of us to lean in, whether you're online right now, if you're driving, you know, pull over, right? Uh, and, and if you're here in the room, I want us to lean in, I want to lay some groundwork about where we want to go, because I don't think this is a one-time thing. I think it happens all the time. And I think sometimes there's some tension in the room, and I want to speak it. In fact, I would say this. If I were to state the idea of the series around a question, here's the question, and it's pretty provocative. Maybe you want to write it down. Here it is. What if the God you believe in isn't actually the God you should believe in? How about that? You probably weren't expecting that today. What if the God you believe in isn't actually... The God you should believe in. Now, here's, here's what I want to tee up. So everybody just sort of take a breath for a moment. Here's what I think. I think many of us, in fact, across the world, if you look at it from a historical perspective, a lot of us have been disbelieving in gods for a long time. Uh, there was a time when uh, most of the world, uh, we could go back in history, there was a time when most of the world worship the sun, not S-O-N, S-U-N. 
and they thought that the sun was God. And, and here's what I would tell you. Most people don't believe that necessarily any longer, okay? Uh, there was a time when people, uh, the most developed society in the world, which is Rome, worshipped Jupiter. But I, I, would, I would venture to say most people don't, in Rome don't worship Jupiter uh, any longer. In fact, I have a friend of mine uh, in our church, Mickey, and Mickey sent me a picture this week. He has a super big telescope. Uh, this is sort of his hobby, and he sent me a picture. I want to show it to you. This is a picture he took this week out in Loxahatchee. That's Jupiter and Saturn. Isn't that a cool, cool picture? He, said, he sent it to me, and, and then he said to me this. He said, uh, and let me impress you, he said, this is actually called what's known as the, the Coma Cluster. It's 322 million light years from Earth. And here's the thing. Did I know that before he sent that to me? No. <laughs> I did not, okay? But there was a time when people worshipped Jupiter. And, and they're not necessarily doing that now. There was a time even, like say, when people worshipped Zeus or the pantheon of Roman gods. And they're not, they're not doing that any longer. So what I want, one of the things I want to say at the front end of the series is simply this. I mean, people have been disbelieving in gods for a long time. What if, what if some of the gods that you brought into this space maybe are not the gods that are really worthy of, of worship? Maybe it's a case of mistaken identity. How many of you have ever experienced um, a case in mistaken identity? Uh, the other, a uh, couple weeks ago, I was walking out of Publix. And it's kind of hard because when you go in the grocery store right now, you have to wear a mask, right? And so, you know, it's easy to, for somebody not to know actually who you are. And have you ever had this thing happen to you? I'm, I'm, I'm coming out of Publix and I'm walking over to my truck to get in the car and, and I look across the parking lot and there's a guy waving at me. And, and, and I waved back, you know, and then I looked over at him and he goes, Hey, come, come here, come here. And I thought, well, you know, okay. I mean, I've had a handful of, you know, groceries and we try to leave the cart there because they're going to, you know, spray it off or whatever. And so I, I go, well, I'm, I'm going to walk over after all. I'm a pastor and I want to be rude. And I walk over to him and I get close to him and he goes, not you, man, the guy behind you. <laughs> Have you ever had that happen to you? Do you just feel like a nimrod when that happens? You know, there's no way to kind of back out of that and have any self-respect. Uh, you ever walked up to somebody and, and, you know, like they're talking and you think they're talking to you and they're talking in their earbuds and you try to get out of that and look cool? There's no way to get out of that and look cool. Uh, I want to share a little uh, stupid confession that my wife uh, said after the 9 o'clock. She goes, I don't really know why you shared that, but I hope that made you feel better. So, I don't watch a lot of TV, I really don't, but there's a show that I watch a lot, and I'm just going to confess it to you because you need to know about me. I, I watch the Andy Griffith show, okay? And in fact, uh, maybe that's an okay confession. Here's where Beth said I started to kind of creep up to the line. When I'm not home to watch it, I tape it to watch it later. <laughs> this is the thing. And uh, in fact, I have a guy in our church. He's actually a leader in our church. I will not tell you who he is because pastors can keep secrets. And we watch this show from our homes and we text each other through the week lines from the show. That's where my wife said, you shouldn't have shared that and you need to get a life is what she said. 
But um, so this past week, there was an episode I want to show you on the Andy Griffith Show. It's called Class Reunion. And it's, it's one of the best episodes. And Andy and, and, and Barney are talking about their upcoming class reunion. And Barney starts telling Andy about, you know, this girl named Ramona Wiley that, that he, you know, really loved him in high school and she was totally into him. In fact, uh, uh, Barney says, this is what she wrote, Andy, in my yearbook. She wrote, always Ramona. The tears on my pillow bespeak the pain in my heart. <laughs> now at nine, everybody went, ah. Okay, so there's this moment when at the class reunion where they meet this guy who turns out to be Ramona's husband and Barney doesn't want to meet Ramona's husband because after all, she was so into Barney, she doesn't want to interrupt the marriage. It will be just like a tense thing. And so the guy goes to get his wife and he comes over and Barney's trying to get away in this scene. He's picking up all of these punch glasses to leave and Andy won't let him leave and Ramona comes over and she looks at Barney and she goes you're just the guy I've been waiting to see and Barney goes here it comes of course it's the girl and she goes bartender can I have another drink and he goes Ramona it's me Barney and she goes it's nice to meet you all right going on you get the idea all right so here's the thing. Um, part of what I want to do in this series is, is this. Yes, I want you to believe in the right God. Obviously, that's what it's about. But part of what I want to do in the series, if we do it right, is to maybe have you come to disbelieve some of the gods that you may be actually believing in. And I think that if we do this right, there is a, a, a way for us to sort of disentangle from that. Because here's the thing, if I were to move the conversation a little closer to our faith and not talk about really the sun or the Jupiter or Zeus, but I were to move it into a Christian, the conversation around a Christian God, I think the same thing sort of applies. And one author I've been reading in the, in the tee up for this series and to prep for this series, tees it up like this. All of us have in some measure, these things, and I want, to, I want to communicate them with you. A lot of us still yet in our society, even though there's a rising number of a percentage of people who do not have any Christian memory or Christian experience at all, many of us, for that is not necessarily true. And so we have some sort of you know, religious experience in the past. It might have been a very connective. There's a lot of connective tissue with it. Some of us have, you know, sort of a nominal experience, but we got some sort of experience around that. Now, interestingly, also, secondly, we might have some sort of like childlike conversion. In other words, we were tracking with our faith in some way at some point in our life. And then the author says this, and then something happens. And something happens in that moment, and it creates sort of a space. And in that space, this is what one author I was reading says, we either, we either deal with a tension, watch this, of despair, because I'm tempted not to believe anymore, or we just deal with this incredible amount of incoherence and doubt with respect to our faith. And I think the author's got a point. And, and here's, here's the thing. I want to fill the blank in around some of these things. So there's this religious environment of sorts. Maybe there's some sort of childlike conversion. And then something happens. Here's some stuff that happens sometimes. One thing is this, if you're taking notes. An irreligious environment. 
And, and, and here's what I think this really points to. We, we, we reach a place where we, if I were to say it this way, we graduate from our faith. Now, there's some interesting statistics about this that are actually pretty concerning. Uh, and our family ministry team has shared some of this information with me. A lot of times this happens when young people go off to college or they move out of the house. In fact, one statistic says this, and it should scare every one of us in the room and online, by the way. One statistic says this, that 8 out of 10 college students that from their senior year in high school to their first year in college will leave their faith. And, and listen to this. One study suggests many will leave their faith within the thir- first 30 to 45 days that they leave home. Now, that will alarm everybody in the room. Here, here's an interesting thing. One of the things I love about our church, we've created what we call a milestone strategy that helps parents, those that are willing to engage with it, that helps parents step in on all of the appropriate rites of passage their uh, child will take until they graduate from high school. One milestone setting is around high school to kind of prep kids for what's coming. It begins all the way back in our church when parents show up and want a blessing on a child or want to bring a child for baptism or some kind of commitment like that. We start engaging in this moment to kind of tell you about, you know, hey, there are rites of passages coming for which you ought to prepare yourself. Because a lot of times what happens, and here's what the writers say, they go, we, we move into an irreligious environment, and here's the thing, we like it. We kind of cast off restraint. And, it, and it's sort of enticing, it feels good. And then all of a sudden, young people just get into this space, all of a sudden they realize, I don't think I believe anymore. I was talking to a young man a while ago, and this was exactly his situation, only he had it twisted just a little bit differently. He had gone off. He had done exactly what the statistic says. He had sort of graduated from his faith. He experimented with some things. He made some mistakes. He made some mistakes that his parents had warned him about. And listen to this. Here's what he told me. He felt so guilty about those mistakes that he felt like he was now disqualified in some way. I want you to think about this. And one of the things I I, I love to be able to tell people, one of the things I love about the Christian gospel that I say in moments like that is this. You know what? Your sin, your brokenness, your mistakes, they don't disqualify you from the gospel of Jesus. They're prerequisites. Someone should say amen right there. Right? I mean, all of us have made mistakes, right? I've made mistakes. You've made mistakes. And so this is an interesting thing. So the author says this. There's sort of a religious environment of sorts. We make a a childlike kind of commitment to it. And then this thing happens and we bump in the road. And for some of us, it's an irreligious environment. Here's another one that I I, I want to mention. And it's simply this. It's what I call faith trauma. Faith trauma. And, and this usually manifests in two ways. If you'd be interested, I'd be glad to tell you what these two ways are. One way faith trauma manifests itself is, is really it's just life trauma. Like something happens in your life that you're not prepared for. 
and your faith bumps. I mean, it's like a real-life trauma. And, and sometimes this is really a manifestation of, of this is the way I like to think of it. Maybe you want to write it down. It's an adult thing that happens to your adolescent faith. And your faith wasn't big enough, formed enough, legitimized enough. And so you mistakenly assume that it's not real after all. Some of us are here and that's us. I mean, I just sort of, I had this experience in life. And, and my faith, I was meeting with a guy a year ago. And he, and he told me, you know, uh, and, and, I, and, and the elevation of the percentages of people I'm having these conversations with over the last year and a half as we go through a pandemic that many of us, almost all of us, have never been through, right? I met with this young man, and he said, you know what? Honestly, Pastor Dale, I'm not sure I believe anymore. And as he explained it to me, I, I, I recognized right away, oh, this is the deal. And you know what I told him? I said, no, it's not that you don't believe anymore. It's, it's that your life circumstances are outpacing your adolescent faith. It's not a time not to believe. It's a time to grow. And sometimes it, that's, a, that's you know, what, we, what I would call faith trauma. Sometimes faith trauma manifests itself like this, and this one's a hard one to talk about. We just had a bad experience in church. Some of us have been around a person who said one thing, and lived another way. Some of us, um, uh, you know, have been around people who proclaim all this faith, and, and, and the way they manifest that faith out to us is not liberating, it's not life-giving. It makes us feel shame, and it makes us feel hurt. And somehow we've manifested that not only on one of God's followers, we begin to manifest that on God himself. And this is a difficult thing. Remember what I'm talking about. This is what the author says. You know, like we have some experience. We've knocked around church. We have some kind of experience. We, we might have even been tracking with it as a child, and, and all of that is good. And then we hit this thing. Maybe it's an irreligious environment, and you like it. Maybe it's a faith trauma in some way. And, and, and another one I want to just share real quickly. This is a big one for me, I notice. It's what I refer to as junk drawer faith. Where we just grew up in a sort of religious environment, experienced some sort of conversion, and, and we just never really made it our own. We start collecting religious stuff, throwing it in a drawer, and maybe that when, you know, a, 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 an experience in life, we kind of rummage through the door and, and a drawer and just hope we'll find something that will help us in that moment. And oftentimes it doesn't because it's incoherent. It's not thought through. It's unintelligent. And here's what I want to say to everybody. These are not moments where we give up on our faith. There are different questions I actually believe we ought to be asking ourselves in that space and in that moment. And here's what I notice a lot of times as a pastor, if we have the wrong idea and the wrong image of God, when, when whatever, and you, you get to decide, whatever that thing is, you're going to bounce out of the faith in that moment. In fact, Richard Dawkins, who is uh, one of the, what they term themselves, the new atheist 
movement. Look at what he says in his book, The Devil's Chaplain. He says, you know, we're all atheists about most of the gods that humanity has ever believed in. Listen to this. Some of us just go one God further. See, this matters. See, what I want everybody to understand is that this is not just sort of intellectual rhetoric for us to consider for like, you know, half an hour on a Sunday morning before we go to lunch. I mean, I mean, you have loved ones, you have friends, or if you're truthful, you have yourself. And you're experiencing a lot of this tension. Why? Because maybe the God you're worshiping isn't the God you should be worshiping. And maybe that image of God is not formed through, or maybe you've just collected ideas across time and sort of stuck them together and hope against hope that when something bounces or you come up into a difficult moment of life, whatever you have kind of formed together will hold. And here's what I would tell you, because I have a lot of these conversations, probably won't hold. And what I've learned in my own experience is I don't have to be afraid to ask questions. I don't have to be afraid to kind of go right at a deeper and more formed understanding of who this God is because God can handle it. And here's what I want to tell you. Don't ever let anybody tell you that if you really ask important questions about God, your faith will collapse That is patently untrue. But we've got to be willing to ask the question. We've got to be willing to do the thing. Now, here's an interesting thing I was thinking about this week. Did you know that when, like we think about Easter last week, and and we talked about the story of the development of the Christian church, I mean, where, where it happened, right? All these ragtag group of disciples, and suddenly there's this moment, right, where they realize that all those things that Jesus said about a king and a kingdom it wasn't about Rome. It was about something else. And they realized in those early hours, remember we talked about it last week, that following the, the crucifixion that, that, that in the early hours after the resurrection, that, that Jesus actually meant something altogether different. And they began to come together around that. In fact, the early historians referred to Christians as followers of the way. That would have been our faith back then. And here's an interesting thing to think of. That in their culture in that day, think with me about this, they were often referred to as atheists because they no longer believed that God was a sun or Jupiter or one of the pantheon of Roman gods. I mean, it gives me goosebumps because right in that moment when they were referred to as atheists, you know, our predecessors, our, our ancient family said to those, to their culture in that day, no, 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 we're not atheists. We just believe in this God. We believe that he was the Messiah. He was the son of the living God. He died, but he rose again. And that's why we're here. And so this is really an important conversation. I want to I want to end my talk with just a simple reading of a couple of verses of scripture that we're going to anchor this whole conversation around. 
And it happens in the book of Hebrews, and it's Hebrews chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 1. Now, here's what I want you to know. We don't really know who the author of Hebrews was, kind of unknown to, to, to the modern world. And um, this is what the author writes. They write, in the past, listen to this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, now, the author is not referring to the coming again of Christ. What he's talking about, the last days were the moment when Jesus appeared, that moment from when he appeared, and then he, when he will appear again. So that segment of time is referred to the last days. So I want to make sure we understand that. But in these last days, he has spoken to us, look at this, by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. And the sun, look at this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And, and I want you to notice that the author says two things here that we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, in the future. One is this. He talks about that the sun was the radiance of God's glory. Now, that's not necessarily something that we would say today, maybe in, in our own language, but, but but what the author, I believe, was trying to communicate is that when when people were around Jesus, there was just something different. You ever been around somebody, you know, kind of as an example, sort of a, 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 a inferior example? You ever been around somebody that lived their faith in such a beautiful way? You went, I don't really know what's going on, but there's something about him. There's something about her that's just different. And they could sense God's presence. And then the author says this, that he was the representation of his being, and not just the representation. Look at this, the exact representation of his being. So in all other words, all prior revelations point to this final Revelation. In Jesus, God translated his deity into humanity. And so everything we should know or understand and believe about God, we see in the person of Jesus Christ. So, so here's, my, here's my idea. What if, what if we took some time and did a deeper dive into this person of Jesus so that we might ascend in our understanding to be able to worship that God and maybe some misunderstandings, some false gods we could set aside. Uh, Lord, at the end of this service, um, what we want to confess to you is that so often we are too fast too frenetic, too preoccupied to really understand, oh God, all the, the depth of what you offer to us when you gave yourself to us. And so Lord, I just want to pray over this time we'll have together in this series, and I pray that you would use it as a space to deepen and broaden our heart 
to come to understand, Lord, that you are the only one truly worthy of our worship. So would you help us learn how to worship you more? This we pray collectively as your people. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord, and everyone said, amen. Would you give the Lord a hand for his goodness and his grace? So here, take this as a benediction. Go from this place being reminded of his unconditional love for you. And would you be a source of love and mercy to those that you see this coming week? Go in his peace. We'll see you next weekend.